You're listening to The Lenses Podcast from Shades Mountain Baptist Church, engaging the world through the lens of the gospel. For more information and resources, visit shades.org lenses. Good evening, everyone. How are you? Great. It's great to see you. Uh, thanks for those of you who heard me last week and came back. That is very kind of you. Uh, before I get started, I want to say the next two weeks here at Lenses, we're going to have uh, Dr. Timothy George from Beeson Divinity School. He's the dean of the school speaking on the Reformation. Uh, this will not be that, but we will, uh, we're really excited about that, and he has carved some time out of his schedule to, uh, to be with us. So put it on your, circle it on your calendar and come back in the next two weeks. Uh, I started doing improv in 2009. I had done a play in Birmingham, and it was a comedy written by Steve Martin, and I loved it. I had a great time, and I wanted to explore some more of it, and I heard about this improv group called Extemporaneous Theater Company, ETC, and I had never done it before, but I auditioned, and I got in. Uh, and I've been, so I started in 2009. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it, but we're going to start by watching a video. Improv was your thing. Yeah, that turns me on because it's, it's just truly dangerous. Um, good improv is just this alchemy that is, you know, uh, very, and very dependent on the other and listening, active listening and taking risks and chances. And I, I had tried stand up and I have done sketch for a very, very long time, but improvisation still remains the thing that, like, uh, I feel very devoted so to. So what do we mean by improvisation? Well, you know, very quickly, the Upright Citizens Brigade, which is a theater that I started uh, along with three other guys yeah. from Chicago, and we have theaters in New York and L.A., what we do is basically long-form improvisation, full shows that are completely improvised, completely made up, inspired and by they a suggestion. they differ from night to night to night to night? Oh, yeah. They, they, they differ from hour to hour, you know? And um, doing scenes that are, that are improvised on the spot. And a lot of time, improvisation for most people is kind of like short kind of games, yeah. comedy games. Yeah. And we just kind of do long plays. And uh, it's just really fun. You said an interesting thing. You said improvisation <clears throat> and sketch comedy gave me my currency. Mm. I assume that would tell me what that means. If you're lucky, you get to at some point kind of decide what your currency is. For some people, it's their looks. For other people, it's their brains. And uh, some people, some lucky people, it's both. Um, (laughs) But I learned early on that my currency was my um, ability to transform, my willingness to transform and look silly and play. And I just funneled that into sketch and improv and writing. And it, it, I just didn't have to depend or worry as much about being pretty, which is every young person's unfortunate burden is how do I look? What do they think of me? You know, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And who am I in relation to the, to the rest of them? And so sketch and improv gave me a tribe you know, a group of people that I felt comfortable with and uh, an escape from, you know, my own face. <laughs> no need to do that. <laughs> uh, but you also said improvisation is like the military. Mm. You leave no man behind. You remember the times when you're in battle and someone abandons you and you mm. really never forgive them. 
If you're in a scene... Is this like pushing you under the truck, or is it something else? It's like bailing. It's like oh. running away. It's like deserting. If you're yeah. in a scene that's not going well, and you turn to your partner, and you look at them, and their eyes are like, wow, where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> you and me. Like, this is crazy, right? And you think, I love you forever. And if you turn around, and you look at someone, and they're gone, you think, oh, no, where'd you go? Great. So that was Amy Poehler. You'll know Amy Poehler. She was on Saturday Night Live, and she's now an actress, and she's made all of America laugh. Uh, and she was talking about improv. Amy was telling a bit of my story. Uh, I'm not pretty, so you have to have a sense of humor. And uh, that's, where it, <laughs> that's where it comes from. Um, but I really related to that fact of finding a tribe of people, of course, outside of the church, finding people that were like me, and I really enjoyed it. So the story continues. I've, uh, I moved to London in 2010, and through a random email, found a group that rehearsed every Friday night. And I would go and rehearse with a group of people doing improv. And at the end of that year, we went up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and did two weeks of improv. Uh, I did a show every night, and it was the most fun two weeks of my life. I absolutely loved it. I came back uh, to Birmingham and joined up with the group I was a part of, ETC. And then out of that group, a new group was formed. That group did short form, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the new group, Ugly Baby. I told him about it last week. Ugly Baby was formed, and so I've been doing that since 2011 in Birmingham. Uh, I was in Chicago for three and a half years, and I took classes at an improv theater there and performed with a couple groups also. Uh, so I really enjoy it. Talking about improv in the church is a little weird. I may be the only person who's interested in this, and if you're not interested, that is perfectly okay. Uh, this is the furthest away we're going to go uh, this semester, and Lens is away from uh, what cult, uh, culture and like church history and politics and all that stuff is very normal things to talk about. Improv is not. I recognize that. Improv in itself is a very weird, strange art form that's uh, in the theater, and it's something I really like. That's introduction. All right, let's get started. What is improv? Uh, it's a theatrical performance where the players on stage do not have a script. Everything is created on the spot. There can be agreed upon formats and rules, but there is no pre-planning of lines and dialogue. Uh, they say that people fear public speaking more than they do death. And then I imagine improv is the next wave beyond that. Does anybody think of the idea of getting on stage without a script and it just petrifies them? Anybody? Yes? Okay. So, so yeah, Yes, I'll take, take death. Sometimes I'm in the middle of the scene and I think death is a decent option. Uh, I'll, I'll take that now. The way it works is we will uh, get on stage, uh, take a suggestion from the audience, uh, and then from that create basically uh, create scenes and with characters and movements and uh, plot or narrative or all of these things for the sole purpose of entertaining an audience. And that's kind of the throwaway part of it is that for a lot of ways it's like you had to be there, that's what it was, and then the next time we have a show we do something uh, really different. The history of improv, uh, it started in, uh, it, let's, let's see what we have here, uh, as it's currently considered, improv was started by Viola Spolin, a drama teacher who would teach improvisation exercises to her students. She, was, uh, she would teach drama, and she would have some of these warm-up games before doing proper theater, and they found that these warm-up games 
were hilarious. They were having a lot of fun laughing uh, together and they decided to take the games and see if they could move that to stage. Uh, so Viola influenced the first generation of improvisational actors, including her son, Paul Sills. And Paul started a group in Chicago called the Compass Players. Has anybody heard of the Compass Players before? Uh, great, good. So this is news to everybody. Some of their notable alumni uh, include Elaine May and Mike Nichols, uh, Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira. You know, we know Jerry Stiller, right? He was um, mostly from Seinfeld fame. The guy who yells a lot. Ben Stiller's dad. There it was. Yeah, you know that guy. Uh, Alan Alda, uh, Alan Arkin, and Del Close. Um, from that, a couple people went and created the Second City in Chicago, which was a theater specifically for improv and then ultimately sketch comedy. Uh, you know a lot of people that have been through Second City before. Joan Rivers, Harold Ramis, John Belushi, almost the entire first cast of Saturday Night Live. Uh, modern day, including Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Steve Carell, and Stephen Colbert, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, etc., etc. Uh, then out of that, there was a guy named Del Close, who he, with another business partner named Sharna Halpern, started the uh, Improv Olympic, which is a theater in Chicago. The Olympics sued them years later, and so now they're called the I.O., uh, but it was for a long time the Improv Olympic. Um, from that, and we're almost done here, uh, from that, Amy Poehler and three other guys uh, moved to New York and started the Upright Citizens Brigade. At one point as well, the Groundlings started in Los Angeles as an offshoot of Second City. So these are the, the big players, right? If we're studying history, this is where all of this comes from. Uh, because it's gotten bigger and more popular, there are more and more cities that have kind of an improv underground and including Birmingham, that there are four improv groups in town and you can come see them. Some are having shows tonight, which I'm going to right after this. You're all invited to Ugly Baby's show tomorrow night at 8 o'clock at Saturn. Uh, what's it called, Saturn? It's Saturn over in Avondale, and you can look at Facebook if you want to find the information. It's only $5, guys. You can come on out. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, so Del Close... His idea for at Second City, they would come up with uh, improvisations and then ultimately the ones they really liked, they'd write them down and use them as sketches and build reviews and do sketch shows. And you can go now to Chicago and see some hilarious people uh, do these great sketches. One of whom is uh, my friend Martin who just got on the main stage, which means he's going to get an SNL audition in a couple years, which could be really fun. Uh, the, uh, but Dell thought... This itself, the improvisation of it, itself can be an art form. So let's try that. Let's try putting just improv on the stage. Uh, and then what happens, great. And we never come back to it. We never come back to that, those scenes. We just say, on that night, it is what it was. And the next night, we'll try something new. So it gets a lot of kind of like theatery, weirdy kind of stuff when we think about it. But uh, I'm okay with that. I hope you guys are comfortable with that as well. Uh, there's something here that we should say. Uh, Del Close, he never married. Uh, he was a drug abuser and a practicing Wiccan, which I learned. Um, so when we're talking about improv and its creators, we're very much outside the realm of Christian thinking. Yet, if we believe that all truth is God's truth, that there are things in here that we can learn, we can use those to inform ourselves. This is what Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians says, test everything and hold on to the good, right? So I, there's things here I can recommend about this. I can't endorse all of it wholeheartedly uh, or the people that are involved, and this is one of those.
Um, you've probably seen Del Close before if ever you saw Ferris Bueller. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, the girlfriend character, she has this very boring teacher. That was Del Close. He got in movies. That's fun, right? Um, okay. So there's a difference between improv and sketch. Sketch is everything written down and prepared ahead of time. Improv is completely spontaneous and on the spot. I'm going to show a video. David, I realize this video is going to be a little longer than we want it to be, so I'll cut you off in a minute. Uh, this is uh, Nichols and May, uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May. In 1965, they had a show on Broadway uh, that it came out of their improvisations that they wrote into sketches, and they put it on Broadway, and they, uh, they were cutting edge. And uh, we'll watch one of those. Sketch based on their indignation at a particularly outrageous American custom a custom which Jessica Midford has since called the high cost of dying. Mike Nichols and Elaine May. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to Long Dust. Can I help you? <laughs> yes, I read your ad. I'm interested in the $65 funeral. <laughs> Was that for yourself? No. For another. Uh, may I ask, where did you catch that ad? TV Guide. Just trying to find out where our trade comes from. Um, I am afraid that I'm going to have to ask you some questions. Yes, that's all right. All right. Uh, can you tell me what was the loved one's name? Seymour Maslow Freen. Is that hyphenated? It was. And the loved one's address? Uh, 44-11-18 Southeast Huguenot Walloon Drive. Uh, and may I ask what your name is? Charlie. Charlie. Charlie, I'm Miss Loomis, your grief lady. Hi. Is it Charlie Maslow-Freen? Yes. You're related. Uh, well, that will be $65. Thank you. I have the check all made out. Oh, wonderful. Uh, um, before you go, Mr. Maslow-Freen, I, I was just wondering, would you be interested in some extras for the loved one? What kind of extras? Well, how about a casket? <laughs> It, it, isn't that included in the funeral? No. <laughs> we have to have a casket. Yes, it looks better. <laughs> How much? We have three prices. $1,243, $768, and $14.98. Uh... May I ask, uh, what, what do those prices represent? That's mahogany, oak, and nubby plywood. <laughs> uh, 
it goes on a good bit, and it's very, very funny. It's good to know sometimes that the classics can't go out of style. Uh, by the way, that first person was Jimmy Father's grandfather's grandfather, Jack Parr. He was on The Tonight Show back in the, uh, back in the 60s. Not really his grandfather, spiritually, Reggie, nothing more. Okay, you get it. All right, we'll keep going. Um, so we get the difference between improv and sketch comedy. Um, then there is the long-form improv and short-form improv. Uh, short-form improv, who of you has seen uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Right? That's where improv really got famous, and that was short-form improvisation. David, I'm going to call an audible. I don't think we're going to have time to watch those uh, videos. We'll watch them afterwards if we want to. Um, but Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, what, it started as a show in England, but we brought it over here, and those guys do short-form improvisation, meaning that each of their scenes is about two or three minutes long, and there are some predefined rules that uh, happen ahead of time that they have to agree to and then once that scene is done they cancel it out and we never see those characters again uh, so that's what makes it short long form improvisation takes all the same uh, ideas behind it but it takes out the game element and you are welcome to bring those characters back from the beginning all the way to the end and as amy poehler said we will go probably about 25, 30, 35 minutes doing short scenes that build into what is ultimately a play. Uh, we'll take a, take a suggestion and from that suggestion get more information, create characters, and build a play. And that's what makes it long form because you can see those characters again and that's kind of a distinction. People, when I say do improv, they say, oh yeah, whose line? And I'm like, yeah. And I did that for a little while. I don't do that any longer because this other group does long form, which for me is a lot more creative and a lot more fun and I really enjoy that. Um, so let's get to the principles of improv. So if you were to get on stage and do improv, what are the three things you would need to know? There's a lot more rules besides the three, but we're going to uh, focus on the three big ones. Uh, the first one is listening. That when you walk on stage, uh, you have to be listening to everything. Not just the words they're saying, though that's certainly very important, uh, but you're also listening to what's not being said, what a character or an actor is doing with their body uh, to inform all of this information. Uh, so we're going to do a little exercise related to listening. Um, and I'm going to ask some brave souls to participate. I'm going to come around with the microphone, so you do don't have to. I'm not going to put anybody too much on the spot. But we're going to, uh, the words you have to say, all you have to say is man- what a party, those four words. But we're going to say it in a way that informs who your character might be. So, and then I'm going to describe, okay, based on my listening of you saying those words, what, uh, who your character is or what you might be. Does anybody want to start? Last, there's not a lot less jokes in improv than there was last week, and we're not laughing enough, and I apologize for that. All my insecurities are coming out right now, uh, so um, I apologize. Okay, who, uh, who wants to start? Man, what a party. All right, great. Man, what a party. Okay, great. This guy is obviously, uh, it seems like he's exhausted from the party. You're like, you're laid down on the floor and you said it just like that. Great job. Thank you so much. <laughs> Pioneering this exercise. Fantastic. Uh, anybody else want to have a go? Man. All right, great, great. Man, what a party. Okay, yeah. <laughs> She was excited, uh, and she's, like, ready for the next party. Uh, it felt like you were probably, like, a 16-year-old girl that's talking to your other friend about the next party, and you're just really into it. You probably planned the party, I'm guessing. Yeah, perfect. Great job. Uh, yes, oh, good. Man, guys, this front row is killing it. Man, what a party. Yes, 
okay, this person definitely didn't get invited to that party. <laughs> Obviously not invited to that party. Another one. Anybody on the second wave? Oh, great. Oh, come on, Christy. You already know the line, so you're good. Yeah, great. Man, what a party. Yes, actual uh, kind of like, you, it was probably a surprise party for you. And you're just like recapping, God, all my friends were there. It was fantastic. All right, so what if uh, I, I walk in and I go, man, what? A party? Who might I be, Bradley? I'm sorry? Parent, exactly, yeah. So I owned, I owned the house and I'm pretty, pretty mad about it. So four lines, we've heard the words, but they can be said. So we're listening more than just the words, but the tone behind it. Uh, listening is the most important rule of improv uh, because it feeds all the other rules and makes sure that your head is in the game. So if anybody, you see somebody doing uh, bad improv, chances are they weren't listening. I've been guilty of that many times. Uh, all right, so great job, David. Thanks, very, very good. Uh, that's how you guys, or, or now that I know the line, I'll, I'll volunteer. Fantastic. Uh, all right, so the next one is agreement. If you've ever heard uh, improv, yes, and, this is the rule uh, where it comes from, agreement, that you have to agree with what's happening on stage. Uh, agreement being that if I was, uh, let's say I, I walk in and I open the fridge and I have my morning coffee, and in my mind, I'm, uh, I'm dad, right? And so I'm, I'm sitting my coffee and somebody comes in and says, uh, so uh, are we going on a date tonight? I immediately am no longer dad, right? Or else that gets real weird. So I say, so I have to change my character. I can't say, date, but I'm your dad. Because uh, then the other person I'm in a scene with seems like a crazy person who doesn't know their boyfriend from their father, right? So I have to agree with what's being suggested and then I have to build on top of that. That's what the and is for. So that one person is not providing all the information in the scene, but rather we're collaborating. A good illustration would be brick by brick. If I agree that we're building a wall, and I put a brick, and then they put a brick, and I put a brick, and they put a brick, then in a matter of a few short lines or information passed back and forth, we know who each other are, we know, the, uh, we know where we are, and we probably by that point have a premise that we can explore. Um, so that is agreement. Now, that doesn't mean on stage that you have to say yes, those words, yes, and. For example, if I said, uh, um, please, please stop hitting me, that doesn't mean uh, they can say yes. They can still hit me, uh, but I, they would have to be agree that yes, I'm a person who's hitting you uh, or whatever. Or if, let's say, Bradley and I are in a scene together and I uh, say, do you want to jump off this bridge? that he says yes, and then we jump off the bridge, thus ending the scene. But he would at least have to agree that we are two people standing on a ledge considering jumping off a bridge. For sport, not for dark reasons. I don't know, we'll see. Uh, but so agreeing with the principles that are being established on stage uh, and going there. So first we're listening and then uh, we're agreeing. And the third main rule uh, is relationship. Uh, the most, the, always make your partner look good. That's the best rule that you can go by. It's also a very friendly thing to do as an improviser is that if I am doing this thing that I think is so fun and hilarious and I'm, and I'm just dismissing my partner, then chances are the scene will only get as strong as my performance on my own and it's also very rude and I'm not looking out for my partner. But if I'm always trying to make my partner look good 
and my partner is always trying to make me look good, then uh, chances are we will lift one another up and we will have a pretty good scene. In that opening video, Amy Poehler says, you remember the people who abandoned you in your time of need on stage, lights on, an audience there. You remember those people, but the people who are with you, eyes wide, listening, exploring, I don't know where we're going, but we're gonna find it together. That's kind of, uh, that's the best thing. That's the best feeling that you can have on stage. Uh, the... Um, I do realize, I'm going to pause and say, I'm getting a lot of blank stares, and that is okay. I realize how weird this is. <laughs> what type of person willingly goes in front of people to make a fool of himself? I get it. It's weird. It's the strangest hobby I think I could imagine, uh, and yet it's the one I really like. So I don't apologize for liking it, uh, but I apologize for the, uh, your blank stares, okay? Uh, I uh, would encourage you at some point to either Google some improv or come see a show, because uh, it feels like magic. It feels like you are seeing something be cre- created right before your eyes, and there's nothing better than good improv. I love it. Um, inversely, there's nothing worse than bad improv. And so that's why, uh, that's why we rehearse. Um, whenever people find out that we rehearse, they always say, well, you, uh, why do you rehearse? Isn't it improvised? I say, yes, but rehearsal is actually the most important part where you learn and you practice the rules. It's like uh, basketball in that way. We can try to run set plays sometimes, but most of the time we're, we're improvising, we're creating based on what we see uh, around us. And we're gonna talk a little bit more of that in a second. So I just wanted to address those blank stares. I know this is weird. I know that there's like a lot of like touchy-feely things with it, and it is not for everybody. But... Um, I don't care. We're going to keep going. No, I'm kidding. I do care. I do care. But I I wanted to recognize that. Um, The last thing about relationship uh, is that sometimes plot can just be too much and relationship will carry you through a whole scene. There's two improvisers in Chicago named TJ and Dave, uh, and they do 90 minutes at a time of just two people on stage. Uh, They wrote a book, uh, Improvisation at the Speed of Life. It's the best show in Chicago. I, uh, I love it. You know TJ from the Sonic commercials? He's the guy that's sitting in the passenger seat, the goofy-looking one with the lighter color hair, uh, and he's the best at what Stephen Colbert said about these guys. One of these guys is the best improviser in the world, and the other one is better. They're fantastic. They're very good. Um, but they don't do narrative. It's just kind of two characters going right along, and they can fill 90 minutes, and it's, it's pretty amazing. Again, it feels like magic before your eyes. Uh, okay. I got to that to get to the good stuff. Uh, what can, great, uh, what can improv teach us about the Christian life? The, hopefully this is why you're here, because if you're here just for the improv lesson, I failed you. Uh, what can improv teach us about life? This is what, uh, I, there's not a lot of books on this specifically, so these are Jacob's discoveries, and take what you will from them. Uh, first, listening. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Even a fool, uh, and then Proverbs 17.28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Uh, That should be a life verse for me. I've just got to remember sometimes, you know, people will like you more if you just shut your mouth a little bit. Um, Listening. We can learn a lot if we listen to one another. 
uh, some of the best friendships and the best care are when people will just sit there and listen to you. Listen to you talk about who you are, what you're thinking about, understand the context around you. Being a good improviser means you have to be a good listener, but also being a good friend means you have to be a good listener. For me, I've discovered being a good pastor means you have to be a good listener. There's a lot of times in counseling people, like, I got the answers early on. You know, I know what I want to say. But the most caring thing I can do is listen to that person share. And so this has helped me become a better listener. And not just listen to the words they're saying, but listen to why they feel that way and the context and the meaning behind it. Trying to understand that other person uh, so that we can better support them and uh, Listening does that. It's the most valuable tool an improviser can have, and I think it's one of the most valuable tools that um, a Christian can have. Uh, the second agreement, uh, Galatians five sixteen and 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In terms of scriptures go, this one is the furthest stretch from what agreement is and what the scripture is saying, but there's some good parallels here is that as the, in the Christian life, sometimes we do a lot of yes and with the Holy Spirit. I believe this firmly, that the Holy Spirit leads us and we take that step to follow. Uh, and then sometimes we don't take that next step uh, of agreeing with the Holy Spirit that yes, this is the way I need to go, but also taking the next steps of our own. Sometimes we want the Holy Spirit to lead us the whole way which in, an, in essence we do, but there's also some times where the Holy Spirit is saying, like, I've given you a, God is saying, I've given you a brain and you can go forward until I stop you. Uh, walking in the Spirit is a type of agreement with the will of God, right? That the law was given to us to point out our sin and the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of our sin. And so we have to walk in agreement with the Holy Spirit. The next, and this one's pretty, uh, a little more obvious, uh, relationship. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, in improvisation, you want your scene partner to treat you like you want to be treated. And so you better than uh, treat them in that exact same way uh, that there is uh, a, a fairness and equality, uh, a generosity there of loving your neighbor as yourself and building on that relationship of supporting one another. Not just that, but there's also in a scene, the best scenes are about real human relationships. Uh, a lot of bad improv uh, goes to fighting where one person is a stranger. Let's say they uh, have dry cleaning and the other person is there to pick it up and they start yelling at one another to which uh, an improv teacher will always say like, a real person would just leave. I wouldn't stay and fight with the person with my dry cleaning. Though it may be funny in the moment, it would never actually happen. But rather, if... Uh, if the uh, guy with my dry cleaning is also my brother, well, that makes it very interesting because you can't just walk away from a very good, uh, from a, a close relationship like brothers. That's uh, uh, just a note that you have to give improvisers that whoever you're on stage with, a relationship is always much more rich when it comes to good scene work. Um, there's other things that I've learned about the Christian life from improv, and we're going to walk through these. Uh, one, there's this book. This was written by one of the early uh, improvisers uh, named Keith Johnston, and he was he's British. He then moved to uh, San Francisco and then is in uh, Canada now. Um, 
it's kind of weird in that British way and a little dark, but, and he is not a Christian, um, but there is a chapter back at the end called Masks and Trance. And as I was reading it, I realized that he, he wrote this whole kind of theories on masks and uh, becoming a character, of putting a mask on and becoming this character. And as I was reading, I realized that he didn't know it, but he was making a very good description of the Christian and the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. Or maybe that us being dead in our trespasses but alive in Christ, that we put on the armor of God, that we become a new creation was like the masks that he was talking about. And I realized that in the common grace that we talked about last week that uh, there are some things that non-Christians, whether they mean to or not, understand and know deep, profound things of God. And I think he stumbled onto something when he was writing about masks as a way to describe the Christian life uh, as it relates to being alive in the Holy Spirit. That's just a side note, but I, I really like that. And, and so I explored that. Um, we're gonna go through three more. Uh, one, they were, I'll tell you, just so you know, we're almost done. Improv and preaching. Improv is ethics and improv is outreach. Uh, improv and preaching. If ever I went back to school, it would be on improv and preaching. I think there's a whole lot of similarities. I enjoy preaching, I enjoy improv, and those are things I'd like to explore more. Um, And I would love for a benefactor to help me do that if I... (laughs) Anybody? No? Okay, well, we'll talk about it. Um, There are several relationships during the preaching moment when we sit in the worship center and we hear Danny uh, preach. There's the preacher and the Holy Spirit. That yes, Danny goes and he studies and he studies hard, but there's also th- some things that happen in the moment. I will confess that uh, white church is not as good at this as black church. Um, so keep that in mind there, that there's a couple of things that are going on. But the, uh, the preacher and the Holy Spirit are in a relationship and there's some improvisation happening between uh, the preacher who has studied and prepared and read and then the moment that the Holy Spirit gives a thought to drive a point home. Uh, to emphasize this more, um, Spurgeon has a whole chapter in his lectures to my students about extemporaneous speech. And he says, in order to be holy and, use, uh, in order to be holy and useful exercise of ex- extemporal speech, the Christian minister must cultivate a childlike reliance upon the immediate assistance of the Holy Spirit. In order to be able to speak extemporaneously, in order to improvise, especially as a preacher, he has to have a childlike reliance on the Holy Spirit. I like that. I like that it's childlike and that, uh, that you don't know where it's going, but you're following, you're taking those steps, and the Holy Spirit leads the preacher in that moment. The second relationship is the preacher and the congregation. Uh, this is where black church does it really well, where uh, if... And I've, I haven't a chance to preach in some of those uh, situations before. You preach, and if somebody says amen or says something back to you, you, uh, you realize, like, oh, they like that. If I'm talking about the comfort of God and, and you get a response from people, you realize, oh, I should probably stay and talk about this just a little bit longer and a little bit more. Again, this is much harder in white church than it is black church. I heard somebody say, uh, you know what in white church saying amen is? It's when they... Write it down. Oh, that was good. I'm going to write that down instead of just saying amen. Joke went better the first time I heard it, but um, <laughs> I think you understand. The, but there is a relationship between a preacher and audience, specifically if an audience is, is vocal, uh, where they're kind of creating together. That a sermon, yes, it can live on for a while, but it also is there just for that moment for God to speak to someone. Uh, and then 
Third, the congregation and the Holy Spirit. This is the improvisation that goes after uh, the sermon is over of the Holy Spirit and the listener of the sermon on the way home of how does what was said and God's uh, truth that was preached, how does that affect me? And the Holy Spirit gets in our lives and convicts and we begin that relationship as well as we've heard from uh, after hearing from the preacher. Uh, Spurgeon says, the power of impromptu speech is invaluable because it enables a man on the spur of the moment in an emergency to deliver himself with propriety these emergencies will, will arise. So Spurgeon promotes amongst his students the gift and the challenge of uh, improvisational speech. Improv as Ethics. This is the book, if I had to recommend one, I would recommend to you. It's by Samuel Wells. He was a professor at Duke and now he is the uh, vicar of St. Martin's in the Fields in London. If you've been to London before and you've been to Trafalgar Square, St. Martin in the Fields is the big church there and he's the pastor there. Uh, he wrote a book, um, The Drama of Christian Ethics. And I really like this. I got very excited about this. I've not read the whole book because it's a little dense and a little thick, but the uh, elements behind it uh, are really good. The idea of ethics, that ethics are not a play. They are not a drama wherein you go, you walk on stage and you say your lines and then you leave. In the same way that ethics, there are not every decision already mapped out for you when we already know how to respond. Instead, he argues that ethics are like improvisation, where you have to learn the rules of improv or the rules of ethics so that whatever you walk into, you know how to respond. As the context is different and as the context is changing, because you know all the rules of improv or you know all the rules of ethics, you can go in and, then, and respond in the right way. He goes uh, further in, in building this point and uh, makes a couple points that uh, he quotes the Duke of Wellington who says, the Battle of Waterloo was won on the playing fields of Eton. Battle of Waterloo between the British and the French where the British defeated the French. He says, it was not in that moment that the, uh, the battle was won, but it was actually won generations before on the playing fields of Eton in the character building of these British soldiers where they were going to fight against adversity that they won. If we could use an example at home, uh, your son or daughter is 17 and going to the prom. They, if they have to decide to make good decisions in that moment, then the battle may already be lost. But if it's, a gener if it's years and a generation before of teaching Christian values and how to respond uh, and how to respond and, and that training, then in the moment they can improvise the correct answer and the correct choice. That ethics is actually not a drama of things written out, but is in fact uh, improvisation. That we learn the rules and then respond in the moment. Uh, Spurgeon hits, hits on this again. If a man would speak without any present study, he must usually study much. Saying the improvising preacher has to have a lot of study behind it so that the right thing will come to him in that moment. So that's going back to the preacher thing, but also uh, in, that same, in that same spirit. And I like this. I like this because it in some way validates improv. Uh, and a man much smarter than me says, oh, we can learn a lot from this. Uh, but I also like it because... Uh, and talking last week and talking about this is that talking about humor and talking about improv gets us into a conversation about ethics and gets us into a conversation about what glorifies God. We asked in the Q&A time last week and some people said about where's the line? I think that's a really good question. It's not a question so that I can learn exactly what to do and not 
cross it. But it's also a question of like, what is and isn't appropriate? What brings honor to God? And if we are, as Christians, having conversation about ethics, I'm very happy. I think it's a great conversation to have. And I think improv can teach us a lot about that. Uh, The last one is improv as outreach. Now, I'm not saying we're going to start an improv team and go onto the streets and start passing out tracks or anything like that. This is more personal. Um, When I started doing improv, I was a Beeson student doing my internship at Shades Mountain Baptist Church with Brian Gunn, uh, doing my work hours at Samford University. How many non-Christians was I encountering on any given day? Not many. Not many, truthfully. But once I found something I was interested in and passionate about and went and explored it, my chances to share the gospel, my chances to share what I believed, my chances to share who I was, increased exponentially. That I've had uh, a chance to, um, when we were in improv, uh, when we were performing in Edinburgh, my buddy is named Johnny, um, and he was, his father was a, a believer, but he was not. But he had some questions. And so after our show, we would stay up late and talk. And I said, hey guys, we should have a Bible reading before bed. And of course, improvisers, the type of people they are, they go, yeah, let's do it. Great. Sounds good. Because they're trained to agree to things. So they say, yeah, sure, absolutely. So I was like, what do you guys want to hear about? And they're like, uh, I've been stressed. What does the Bible say about stress? So I would read from some of this. Uh, at one point, I was reading from the book of Exodus and had in. Uh, said something about the uh, the Ten Commandments. And Johnny, I will, I will laugh about this forever. He says, it's very British. I won't do his accent, but he's very, very British. Um, so his arms do this. I don't know. It feels like, it feels right. But he says, um, in the movie version, God wrote the Ten Commandments with a laser. Is that what happened in the book version? <laughs> It was referencing uh, Charles and Heston in the Ten Commandments. Uh, it was probably about 3 a.m. When, when he said that, and we laughed until 5 a.m. about him, a laser, of God writing this with a laser, to which I said, yes, he definitely wrote it with a laser. Not actually, he wrote it with his finger, but, we, but he just, his finger probably shot lasers, and then you, you go on and on from there. Uh, but I had a chance to share with Johnny the gospel, and we got a chance to, to talk about it. I don't know where he is on his spiritual journey now, but I know that he has heard the truth from his father and then from me, and, uh, and he, has a, he got married, and he has a child, and we still keep in touch, and he's a, a lovely man, and I got to know him and befriend him through improv. Uh, I have another friend in Chicago. He asked me to stand in his wedding, and we met, uh, and it, which was a huge honor to me. And we met doing uh, doing improv. It was a um, it was his the girl he was marrying was Jewish, and I got to give a speech at the end. And I talked about Jesus, and I said I didn't know if you can uh, mention Jesus at a half Jewish wedding, but I uh, but I did anyway, and it got a really good laugh. Again, it got a laugh in the moment. You had to be there, which is most of what improv is is having to be there. Um, but for me. This art form, this thing that I'm interested in and passionate about has enabled me to meet more and more people uh, that I get to share with. And we don't talk about spiritual things all the time. We are friends who connect. But I didn't have the chance to do this until I found that. For you, it may not be improv. If it is, then great. You should come take some classes and we can get you started. But if it's something else, 
if it's, uh, I know Scott Heath coaches his boys in sports, and through his coaching, he has had a chance to meet other, other dads and other families, and that's what he uses as a hook into the secular world. Uh, Dr. Dorsett was my evangelism professor, and that's what he calls it. He is a World War II historian who is connected with other veterans and chaplains and uh, other historians, and that's his hook into the secular world, as he calls it. It may be sports, it may be uh, your grandchildren and their friends, it may be the PTA, it can be anything you're interested and passionate about. And we have to go there. We have to go there. We, as Shades Mountain Baptist Church, can only have so many events where we invite people to come. It's us, the church, that has to go. It has to go out and connect over seemingly secular and weird and bizarre things and buy into it. And then be a light in a dark place. I think that's what the book of Acts looks like. And I think that's the calling for us. And for me, uh, improv has been one of those steps. Okay, we're going to have some Q&A time. I realize that this will be very different from last week. Uh, where we uh, had a lot more laughs. But mm, we'll try. Any questions? Bradley, you want to uh, lead us in some questions? <laughs> Guys, this is David. He's in an improv group called Taco Truck Tuesday, and he is performing tonight at 8 o'clock. You can see him live. $5. I think, so you talked at at the beginning about how public speaking is something that people fear worse than death, and we talk about, you know, sometimes how it's difficult to go out and evangelize or whatever, and there's a lot of times just in your personal life where it's hard to get out and do this thing. Can you talk a little bit about how, like one of the big things improv has taught me about is failure, yeah. And can you talk about that? About failure? Improv and failure in social and speaking kind of, is that, or is that too broad of a topic to throw at you? No, it's good. Um, good improv is watching people fail, uh, watching a high wire. We go to the circus. It's not as much fun watching that high wire uh, walker, tightrope walker stay alive. Yes, I'm glad they stay alive, but it's only fun because there's a chance they could fail. When we watch the balance beam and the girls fall off, the non-American girls fall off, part of me is like, yeah, that's kind of awesome. You know, like uh, there's, a, there's an element to it. it. There is a high wire act to it that, uh, yeah, there's supposed to be failure involved, which kind of makes the successes that much more fun and that much more uh, amazing when it actually pulls off and works. Um, but that's why you go is because there's something that should fail and it actually works. And I think that's interesting. Now, uh, the question I think, the other question you might have been asking is like, how does it affect me personally? Yeah. So one thing Dale Close says is follow the fear. Um, that on stage as an improviser, what we want to do is keep stasis. That's just like human nature. That if I'm sitting here talking with my scene partner, um, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I know that if I'm here, I'm safe. Um, that That is actually kind of boring. But if something crazy happens, and if I'm willing to lead something crazy happening or follow that fear, then that's when good things start to happen on stage. And uh, it's pretty true in the Christian life as well, is that we are all trying to maintain stasis 
in a lot of ways. And that, uh, but you hear the stories of somebody taking what they would say, a, a leap of faith or a step of faith, step out in faith. Well, that's when you kind of get vulnerable and see where God can do something that, I won't call it magic, but is completely unexpected and far beyond what we could have uh, imagined it being. Um, and I think there's a good spiritual point there. And I imagine you tossed that softball so that I would make that point, David. Am I right? Hey, buddy. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I've never really thought about improv in the gospel before. Sure. I've never heard the rules of improv before tonight, so I'm really glad I did. And while while you were going through the rules of improv, I thought about the fact that those are just good rules for a believer to have a conversation with anyone. Yes. I mean, if we're going to share our faith, first of all, we can't pre-program yes. the conversation. Yeah. That's why tracts don't work. Yes. And listening and responding and affirming the things that someone is telling us, and then just focusing on relationship with that person. Just hearing those rules tonight, to me, was really uh, just encouraging, and I, that's what I was thinking about. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. The um, yeah, learning, uh, Becoming a better improviser has made me become a better human uh, in a lot of ways, and that I get uncomfortable a little bit less when awkward people are around, and there are a lot of them. A lot of them, a lot of them in our church. How does our church attract so many? I believe I'm, I'm teasing a little bit, but I because I think the church is the place for awkward people. Um, but the, and, and that's okay. But the uh, ability to kind of interact socially in a lot of different ways—it's challenged us to be a better person. And I uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. I was going to make another point, and I've forgotten what it was. I'll get back to it if it's important. Other questions? Anybody? Okay, so who, uh, truthfully, I'll close my eyes and you can just raise your hand and Suze, you can tell me later. Uh, who just doesn't think this relates at all? Like this has no real bearing on my life. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a good number of you. Anybody? This is what my mind is doing. It's like uh, 80 people stare at me. It's just doing this. Just wondering what is happening. Yes. Well, I appreciate that. You're very kind. Um, my challenge for us now, and if we don't have any questions, I'll just come with a big, strong challenge at the end, is that uh, to also, and this is kind of the point of all of lenses, is that what you are engaging in, whether it's history, science, uh, culture, whatever it is, there is truth out there that can also affect us as Christian believers that can inform us. And then we as a church can be sharing this with one another, that I have a lot to learn from you and your experiences and your expertise. And all, all God's, if all truth is God's truth, then I can read a secular book on leadership and see how God has designed uh, people to be good leaders. And I can learn from that in the same way for athletes and the same way for um, experts in any different kind of field. And so I'm not an expert in improv, but I've thought about it perhaps more than you have, and those are the things I've learned. And so uh, I'll share that. And then in our conversations here and going forward, we can be sharing these things with one another. Perhaps now's a good time to go into our table, or table groups. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, so questions, I don't have them in front of me. Uh, the questions... Uh, 
Thank you so much. Lily, Two, thank you six, very much. 12, 13, 20. And we'll gather back together uh, for a closing prayer. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up our time together. Uh, we are going to uh, say a little bit of Ecclesiastes 3. Uh, let's thank Jacob one more time. Uh, it was good. So if you'll stand with us uh, and we will uh, recite Ecclesiastes 3 together. Uh, don't forget next week, Timothy George uh, here talking about the Reformation. We hope you'll join us then. Uh, let's, let's recite this together. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Thanks. Have a good evening. Anyway.